0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Emma and Rebecca Talk IP. This is the podcast where we discuss topics catching our attention in the world of intellectual property and attempt to unravel what's really going on. My name
1: is Emma Isles and I'm Rebecca Gay. This episode we're jumping right back into COVID-19 vaccines, a topic which has become a bit of a mainstay of this podcast. Back in March, we delved into the developments around equitable access to COVID-19 vaccines, but today we're going to have a look at something a little bit different, which is what's happening in the courts, because there's currently a flurry of litigation that's been launched all around the world. We're joined today by Julie Chu, a senior associate in the IP team of our London office, uh, who has been keeping a very close eye on that litigation. So welcome, Julie.
2: Thanks, Rebecca and Emma. It's great to be joining you today.
1: Before we jump in, it might be interesting to take a bit of a look at mRNA vaccines more generally as a backdrop to how it is now the centre of various multi-jurisdictional litigations. So should we have a bit of a science refresher?
0: Why not? A bit of science chat is always a good idea if you ask me. I agree.
1: Now, we all know about DNA or dioxyribonucleic acid, which just trips off the tongue. It's the blueprint to all living things. But our bodies are are actually made up of proteins. Proteins are really the building blocks of life. So our DNA provides the instructions that tells the special machinery within our living cells what proteins to make when and for what purpose mRNA is also a nucleic acid, just like DNA. The M actually stands for messenger, and you can think of mRNA as the literally the messenger that reads and basically copies the instructions contained in our DNA and communicates those instructions to the cell machinery that makes the proteins.
0: All right, so mRNA is an essential, normal working part of each of us but it can also be synthesised and manufactured in a lab. In fact, mRNA molecules have been synthesised and studied by scientists for a really long time. That's right.
2: Although the term mRNA is bandied around a lot more in conversations nowadays, scientists have been experimenting on mRNA for decades and have particularly been
1: looking at how it might be used for vaccines. So, Julie, can you tell us what you know about mRNA vaccines and how they work? Well,
2: conventional vaccines usually contain a little bit of the virus or bug that you want protection against. Sometimes the virus or the bug in that vaccine has been inactivated or weakened, or the vaccine might only contain a section of the virus or bug. So when it is injected, it elicits an immune response from the body. This means that our bodies develop and retain a memory of how to fight that particular virus for some length of time, if and when we come into contact with the virus naturally. With mRNA vaccines, you're still injecting something into the body, but rather than having the virus or bug or a bit of it, you instead have mRNA, the messenger that is carrying the instructions that the cells within our bodies can use to manufacture a bit of that virus or the bug. When we're talking about COVID vaccines, The mRNA has the instructions to make the spike protein of the virus, which is a protein that sits on the surface of the viral particle. Once injected, the body's cells do the hard work of taking the instructions in the mRNA and turning it into the spike protein. And then that spike protein that has just been manufactured will elicit a similar immune response from the body as I just described within conventional vaccines.
0: Thanks, Julie. Now, in the past, on this podcast, we've talked about the different pharmaceutical companies that are involved in developing the COVID-19 vaccines. But now I've seen that there's some patent litigation that's taking place in the US and also in various places in Europe. What's that all about?
1: Well, in our previous episodes, Emma, um, we've observed that there really isn't any such thing as one patent per COVID vaccine. Instead, there are are many, many patents that cover different parts of the science that enables the vaccine or the vaccines, I should say, to be produced. Uh, There are lots of clever bits that go into producing a vaccine, and each of them can be inventive in their own right. And so they can each be separately protected by patents.
2: Yeah, exactly. So... In the mRNA vaccines, let's break down some of the patentable components. I said earlier that scientists have been working on mRNA for a really long time and they have to do certain things to modify the mRNA, which can affect things like stability, function, and generally optimizing the mRNA so that when it is injected into human bodies, it does what it needs to do um, as a vaccine. Another thing is that mRNA is a very delicate molecule. So a lot of research has gone into developing delivery systems for mRNA so that they can be applied therapeutically. And there'll also be patents which can cover the exact dosage and formulation of the vaccine. um, That is the recipe of materials that are used to create the dosage that is injected into patients.
0: And so the litigation that we're seeing relates to different technologies embodied within the various COVID-19 vaccines and some patents may also relate to the vaccines as a whole. These vaccines are pretty important though and access to them is a key issue. What could be the outcome of all these court actions? Are patent rights ultimately going to restrict access to certain vaccines?
1: Well, in theory, we know that one outcome of patent litigation is that someone can be restricted from doing infringing acts by way of an injunction. So in theory, If one party wins against another, they could get an order that says you must stop doing that thing, which might be supplying the relevant vaccine. But usually courts will take into account a range of different factors when they're deciding whether it's appropriate to grant a particular remedy.
2: Yeah, in the present suite of litigation, it looks like the patent owners who are enforcing their rights aren't seeking injunctions. Um, So instead of trying to stop other people from using their technology, they are looking to get monetary compensation. Um, That means that the company that might be found to infringe a patent would still be able to continue making and selling their vaccine, um, but they will have to pay the patent holder for using the patent. The point is that Assuming that the patent is upheld by the court as valid and infringed, the patent holder who spent the time and resources developing very valuable technology is going to be rewarded for their contribution.
0: And I think that's broadly a trend that we're beginning to see more and more often when it comes to patent enforcement. There's a lot to think about when it comes to seeking an injunction as a remedy, uh, in particular, when it comes to the effect that that's going to have on access to medicines for particular patient groups and access to life-saving technologies. Julie, can you tell us a bit more about who is involved in the COVID-19 vaccine litigation? Yes, of course.
2: This recent bout of litigation is actually a little bit older than you'd expect. It stems back to pre-COVID times. So I think back in 2018, Moderna, who no one had really spoken about before COVID, but who we now all know has commercialized an mRNA vaccine against COVID-19. Moderna challenged the validity of three patents owned by a company called Arbitus BioPharma. Now, these patents that Moderna challenged related to lipid nanoparticles or LNPs, and LNPs are used as a delivery system for mRNA, as I mentioned earlier. Moderna was not successful in its challenge of these patents, and in turn, earlier this year, Arbutus and its partner, Genevant sued Moderna in the US for infringement of the patents. Then, in quick succession, Alnylam Pharmaceuticals, a US biopharmaceutical which focuses on RNA interference therapeutics, has also commenced proceedings against both Moderna and Pfizer in relation to their respective COVID-19 vaccines. Other players involved in legal proceedings over the COVID-19 vaccines include BioNTech, Pfizer, CureVac, and Acutus Therapeutics, which are all household names now. And the legal proceedings so far span the US, of course, um, Germany and the UK. The proceedings are not just patent infringement proceedings, but also involve patent revocation, declarations of non-infringement and contractual disputes.
1: That sounds super busy. (laughs) Should we be expecting more, Julie?
2: Yes, I reckon, Rebecca. As we discussed, patents can cover many parts of a product. Also, obtaining patents aren't always a very speedy process. So it's possible that some patent applications have been filed, but the patents haven't yet been granted. So once those are granted, we might expect to see new lawsuits being filed or perhaps even additional patents being added To existing lawsuits.
0: And the rush of innovation that surrounded the COVID-19 pandemic was definitely a catalyst for RNA and therapeutics. And the fact that we're seeing various companies litigating in this space really reflects that and the success of the resulting technologies.
2: I agree, Emma. The success of COVID-19 mRNA vaccines has opened minds and increased public confidence in mRNA technology. I can see that there are news articles almost every day about new and exciting technologies which involve RNA. By way of example, there's currently research into more kinds of mRNA vaccines against everything from cancer to acne. Because nucleic acids are used as a blueprint or information for making proteins, mRNA therapies also have the potential for personalised medicine by making specific mRNA for each patient. I've even seen research into therapies involving the use of mRNA in cell rejuvenation and anti-aging.
1: I'm all for those kind of therapies. (laughs) It certainly sounds like there's a lot to look forward to. Julie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you to our listeners for joining us and until next time. In the spirit of
0: reconciliation, Herbert Smith Freehills acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. And visit our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com, for more insights relevant to your business.